thanks, Caitlin, and thank you for all your hard work this summer as Caitlin is on staff this summer making all that she just talked about happen um, from that staff level. And it really just was an awesome three weeks of being on mission uh, in the neighborhood, right, where God has planted us to um, serve, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love him with all our heart, and that includes loving the word that he has given us. So we'll get into the word now. We're in Philippians chapter 3. And uh, if you've been here, you know we've been in Philippians 3 for three weeks. This is actually week four starting today. And we could spend a lot of time in Philippians 3. I mean, it is just so rich. It is so beautiful, this chapter. I mean, Philippians 3, um, one cool thing about it that you'll see in this just this one short chapter here in kind of a short book of the Bible by the Apostle Paul to the church he started in a place called Philippi, one of the things you'll see that's just so epic, so amazing, and so kind of effortless at the same time of Philipp- in Philippians 3 is that the chapter flows through three core aspects of our salvation. They're not the only aspects of salvation or in our salvation, but there are three core aspects of our salvation, and that is justification, sanctification, glorification. Oh, three beautiful words. Three words I want everyone in our church to know and to be able to articulate because it's right here in this text, and it's all throughout the Bible. Philippians 3 talks about our justification. You can see this in verse 9, for example. That's where it starts. This chapter starts with this idea of justification. Paul's telling everyone, rejoice in the Lord. We've been saved. Part of that means we're justified. In verse 9, he says, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God put on us, imputed righteousness by faith. This is the idea of justification, being declared not guilty, being declared righteous once and for all. This is about salvation really in the past. Like when we talk about how, hey, we got saved, that's justification. We repent, we turn to Jesus and everything we've ever done, everything you'll ever do is totally, completely once and for all, forgiven. You are now in relationship with God. Justification, so beautiful. Next week, just spoiler alert, okay? I won't tell you what's happening in Stranger Things, but I will tell you what's happening in Philippians 3. Right? So, you know, just a peek into the future, a trailer. Next week, we're talking about glorification. We talk a lot about glorification in the church in general. It's something we hit a lot. This is salvation future. So the Bible talks about how we have been saved. That's justification. But the Bible also talks about that we will be saved. Sometimes you're reading about salvation in the scriptures, and it might say something like, those who endure to the end shall be saved. Have you ever read a sentence like that in the scriptures? That's talking about glorification. It's all throughout the New Testament of the Bible. It's right here in Philippians 3, 20 through 21. You'll see it. Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. So glorification is this idea that we die, but we rise again like he died and rise again, rose again, right? It's this idea that we're heading to heaven to live with Jesus and without sin. We're living in perfection, perfect bodies, not touched by the curse, no sickness, no death, health issues, sin issues. It's all made new. We live in a new heaven and a new earth where Jesus is king and we surround his throne and worship him and live as we were always made and meant to live like when we were created back in the Garden of Eden. It's not today, but it's someday. It is coming. It is salvation future. It's glorification. Today, in between those two things, in the text that Caitlin just read for us, we have the part of salvation that happens in the messy middle between justification and glorification is what feels like a very long time period of something called sanctification. 
This is how the Bible talks about salvation present. So we have been saved. We will be saved. That's glorification. In other words, we will die and rise again. Okay, in between that, the Bible once in a while talks about you who are being saved. Dot, dot, dot. Being saved. It's a salvation of the present. God is saving us right now. He is internally taking sin away and putting Jesus' characteristics in. This is called sanctification. Paul says, rejoice, because between justification and glorification, in the meantime, we're going through sanctification, which is where God is saving us daily from ourselves. We are being saved, not only from the punishment of sin, that's justification, or the presence of sin one day in glorification, but right now from the power of sin in our daily lives. This is good news. Sanctification is Great news for us this morning. It's the work of God, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. We got God the Father, he is God. God the Son, he's God. Then there's God the Holy Spirit, he's God. And he works in us to help us grow spiritually. That's sanctification. You might have noticed after justification, some of the things you used to do, you don't want to do them anymore. And some of the things you never thought you'd do, like come here on a Sunday morning instead of I don't know, watching some game. I don't, I'm not a sports guy, so I don't know if there's games on during this season. Um, I have no idea. Could be, could be not. Um, but, right, you're doing stuff you never thought you'd do. This is sanctification. It's part of the gospel. That you're not just, that, that you're not just coasting until glorification with nothing to do, but that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell inside you. At justification, your body is made into the temple where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. And the Spirit of God convicts us of sin and of righteousness and ju judgment. He illuminates the scriptures to us. He brings the word to mind. This means that the Holy Spirit... For us believers, he works in our heart regularly to help us hate sin and to love God, to help us refuse the wrong thing, do the right thing, to help us deny ourselves and love one another. That's sanctification. It's the process of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, making us more holy. And that's where we're at today between justification and glorification. Now, a lot of this sounds awesome, and it is. It sounds clean. It sounds neat. It's theologically logical, reasonable. And it is true that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. We are being saved because he likes us and he loves us. This really is good news. Yet, here's something else that's true. Sanctification is more painful than a surgery. It is more awkward than any argument you've ever had. It is more grueling than any workout, and it is more strenuous than any job. Sanctification is straight up messy. Have you noticed this? Hey, I'm going to use the uh, handheld for a while. Because I want you guys to hear about sanctification. I'm going to use that green one. It's really not the mic. It's my head shape. So. <laughs> no, it's serious. It's a problem. I'm gonna use, if it's all right, I'm going to use this. I know I'm really bad with these. I always do that. Okay, but just this part of your sanctification, all right? <laughs> Enduring this. No, here's the truth. It is straight up. It's, it's terrible. It feels terrible. Sanctification can feel painful. It can feel boring or it can feel pressing too much. It can feel too heavy. And here's the, the funny thing. If your experience is anything like my experience, sometimes it feels like nobody is really talking about that. Sanctification's messy, and it feels like nobody's really talking about it. Now, not necessarily here at Griggs. We're a pretty open bunch. But like in the big C church, capital C church, sometimes it could feel like, hey, this is really hard, and I'm not getting the vibe that it's hard for everybody else because nobody's talking about it. And herein lies a problem for us, a sanctification situation, if you will. Normal sanctification, normal sanctification is very messy. But since no one's talking about it, it feels like we're just a mess. 
How many of you feel like that this morning? I, I, I'm just assuming someone in here just feels like they're not normal because their sanctification is very messy. We feel like we are uniquely weak, and we're afraid as human beings to look weak. That's something kind of in us. It's built within. So what do we want to do is hide ourselves. We don't want anyone to know what we're really facing since it seems we're the only ones, so we never reach out for help defeating the sins that are defeating us. We assume we're weak, so another avenue we could take is we become hypocrites where we design our reputation for public consumption to be much further along than where we really are in private. And by doing so, we make our sanctification actually less effective, actually even harder than it was to begin with, and it was very hard to begin with. By trying to look strong, we actually become weaker. I heard about this this week from a friend. Maybe you know about this, probably you don't. But in 2021, because I don't think anybody really that I can think of in here would know this. In 2021, 15 top-level bodybuilders died. 15. I'm talking about top-level amateurs and professional bodybuilders died. They passed away. Here's what's going on is that to perform as a bodybuilder, they have to look stronger than everybody else. But to look like that, they actually have to do a lot of damage to the natural way your body functions. So they have to build up pound after pound after pound of muscle while losing upwards of like 30 pounds in a matter of weeks before this competition. To do that, they're cutting out all the types of food that give you energy, and yet they're expending more energy than they've ever expended. Additionally, the chemicals, they're taking hormones, they're taking diuretics, they're taking insulin, they're taking steroids, and it's killing their kidneys and their livers and their hearts, and they're dying before the age of 50 because of all this. And it's just a very interesting picture, is it not, that they're trying to look the strongest, and yet they're becoming the weakest. It looks like they could beat you up. It looks like they could take your lunch money. No problem. Here you go. Here's extra. Here's a tip just for mugging me. Like, you're huge, right? Like, but really, we're actually normal people, stronger than they are, right before they go up to the stage for competition. It's a fascinating conundrum. It's a fascinating, it's a phenomenon, really. And when I heard that, when this guy was telling me about that, I thought right away, I was like, dude, that, there is a sermon in there for this weekend. Thank you. Did all my work for me, right? That's how good of a delegator I am. <laughs> Just get this guy to do it. It's true, though, all the time. And we see this. We, Christian pastors, Christian parents, Christian people living a life aimed to look stronger, and yet they're becoming weaker and weaker. Their sanctification is messy. They assume they're a mess, so they hide or go into hypocrisy, making their sanctification actually even messier. All because they just assume they're a mess. Some of you, probably the same way. You've come in and you assume that you're a mess. Well, what's the solution to our sanctification situation? The solution, according to Philippians 3, is to focus on two things. One, embracing the mess. And two, is aiming for the right end. Let's, let's just look at these verses, and I think you'll see that these two themes sort of pop out. We'll start with verse 12, right? Sanctification is messy. What do we do? We embrace the mess. Look at verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Amazing. Jesus embraces our mess. <laughs> it's amazing. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we're going to back up to verse 12, because I love how this text starts. I love it. He, if you look at the context, Paul is talking about living out that resurrection life. Paul is talking about no longer living a life of sin. He is talking about no longer living in spiritual death, but rising from spiritual death to be fully, totally, completely alive in Christ. 
How some folks would say, Paul is looking to do right. right? That's how we say it here in Pomel. I'm doing right. That's what Paul's trying to do. But look at this. In verse 12, he says that he has not already attained or am already perfected. Sanctification is messy. And though nobody might be talking about it, Paul is talking about it in the inspired word. The apostle Paul comes forward. He's the first to raise his hand during testimony time. He starts off the small group, and here's his sentence for us. I'm not perfect. That's what Paul says. Now, for some of you, that's actually probably really hard to hear because some of you are perfectionists. That's a tough place to be. One, one tougher place to be, and that is married to a perfectionist. But still, being a perfectionist is pretty tough. And, and you want to focus in on perfection. So some of you, you see that Paul himself, he wasn't even perfect. He has not yet arrived, though he was suffering right now. During the writing of this letter, he's suffering for the gospel. He still is not totally, completely sanctified. And you might think, well, then what's the point? If I can't do it perfect, why do it at all? Some of you, that's your attitude towards things in life. If Paul can't be just like Jesus, there's no way that I can be just like Jesus. Right? And if I can't be perfect, well, then I'll just hide. I'll just fake it till I make it. Can't let my imperfection show. But here's what I would tell you, okay? I want you to think a little bit more for a second, like you're a glass half full type of friend, okay? That friend that annoys you with their optimism, um, that type of person. Think like him for a second, because here's what this means for us. That if the apostle Paul is admitting he's not perfect, he has room to grow, he has not attained, that he still has a lot of sin that he's got to repent of, here's what this means for you. This means that you are normal. You're just like Paul. So rather than hiding or hypocrisy, you might as well embrace your sanctification like Paul. Like if Paul can admit that he's not perfect and talk about it, so can we. If Paul can embrace his own messy process of sanctification, so can we. If Paul has to press into holiness, which means to endure, to try again and again, like an athlete looking to hit the finish line, he has to practice and practice and practice to embrace the pain that comes with denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following Jesus. If he has to press, then we're all going to have to press into holiness because we're all going to have some work to do. And here's the truth. That's normal. That's okay. Verse 12 says, my sanctification, he, he, Paul says, my, my, my sanctification process is not over. I got a lot of work to do. He embraces it. It's messy. It's painful. It's complicated, right? This idea of pressing is huffing and puffing, striving, blood, sweat, and tears. And it is messy. So you're like, okay, I have to embrace the mess. How do I do that? How does one embrace this mess? Well, he tells us in verse 13, he says, brethren, here's what I'm doing. I count myself not to have apprehended. I haven't made it yet, but here's the one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, right? I press towards the mark. So embracing sanctification means forgetting those things which are behind and reaching to those things which are ahead. So here's what I want you to do to embrace the mess is I want you to start learning to let go of the past, right? To forget those things which are behind, right? So for some of you, you have done some things, you have been some things, you have said some things, and you think about those things and you cringe, right? You've done some pretty cringe-worthy stuff, stuff that makes you want to hide, right? I can think of a lot of things I've done that have made me cringe, I'll talk about one that's not super serious, though I still definitely cringe. Uh, okay, so when I first started teaching and preaching, when I first got saved, 18, 19 years old, uh, I was really into this theatrical style of preaching, okay? So my heroes were like these old dead guys, like Billy Sunday, okay? You probably haven't heard of him, but he's the type of dude who... Run, he can't wear his mic because he's running around screaming at people, the craziest stuff you ever heard. He's like pretending to have fist fights with the devil on stage, freaking everybody out. 
And here I am, 18, 19-year-old new believer. I'm reading his biography. I'm reading his sermons. I'm like, this dude is amazing. This is what we need in America right now, right? So I'm like signing up for that. Well, you, you might not know this, but when you're a new teacher and preacher of the Bible and you're just trying to get some reps in because you're young, 18, 19, you preach at places like nursing homes and homeless shelters. In fact, one of my first places that I got to preach a little bit was a women's homeless shelter for those who are women who are addicted and or abused. So some of these were battered women. And I got in there to preach the gospel, and I had the right heart, but I'm running around the room screaming. A man comes in and is screaming at battered women. That's a bad look for the gospel. Now, I didn't mean to do anything crazy. I didn't even know I was being crazy. I look back, I, I, I cringe, right? I cringe, like, man, I wish I would have just stood still and gave them a bunch of love and hope. Right? Maybe it isn't as bad as I remember, but here, here, here's the idea, is that I cringe when I think about that. And for some of these things that are behind, it isn't so much just something dumb that we've done. It's something dark that we have done. Right? It, we, you have sinned. You have, you have done the exact opposite of what you've told others to do. You have done the exact things Jesus has saved you from. Right? You have you have not done the things you know you should have done. You have done things when no one is looking that you'd be mortified to do if they were looking. Paul says we have to forget these things which are behind, these things that keep us up at night when we are racked with this guilt and shame. The Bible says repent and forget. Repenting and forgetting is an option. This is good news for us this morning. It is a whole lot healthier to repent and forget than hide and fake it. Hiding and faking it may look us, make us look strong, but you'll actually be weaker and weaker. He says, forget those things which are behind, even your sin, even the sin you committed after justification that you swore you'd never do or swore you'd never do again. Forget those things which are behind. You can because Jesus does. Jesus died in our place for our sin, for the forgiveness of sin. And he says that for all who will believe, right, there is no condemnation from God to them, that he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. That Isaiah, he says, he remembers our sin no more. He forgets it. Now, I know that you can't literally forget everything you've ever said or done or thought, but you can embrace the fact that Jesus has already embraced, that you're not perfect, that your sanctification is going to be messy, that's okay. Forget those things which are behind. Whether that was a decade ago or a day ago. So what do we do after that? Well, he gives us the formula. To some degree, you could call it that. He says, forget the things which are behind. Reach out unto the things which are before. What is before you? Literally, like what's in front of you? What's in front of you? You see, sometimes we want to hide because we're not where we want to be. And we engage in hypocrisy because we're not where we want to be. But typically, here's what we do for most of you that I know in Griggs, you way overestimate yourself. And you are holding yourself accountable for not being further down the road than you can even be. So you see this a lot, and, and not so much a spiritual way, but in a lifestyle way when it comes to our millennial friends, with which I think I'm part of that group, though in my soul, I'm like 110. But anyway, right? millennials and lifestyle, this is a huge study. Everybody knows this. I think it's because of all the bad millennial jokes, like you're lazy and all you want is avocado toast and apps and you're, you're not working hard and blah, 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 right? So you want it all easy. So all these things are actually putting a lot of pressure on millennials, believe it or not. And millennials, if you talk to them, they have this huge rise in anxiety and um, different mental health issues and cases because of this pressure. They feel this pressure, millennials, to have this amazing resume, have amazing experiences with amazing people and an amazing life all before they, like, hit 30, 
they're literally trying to do the things their parents or grandparents did like in retirement at like 28 and then kicking themselves if they can't get there because it looks on Instagram like everyone else is there. They're not. You put anything on Instagram. I could look like a good dancer with enough editing. I mean, of course, I would never do that because I'm Baptist. And I will not break the covenant I've made with the Lord. No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Right? You know why Baptists can't dance? It's my favorite joke. You know why Baptists, or sorry, I, I ruined it. You know why Baptists don't dance? Have you ever seen a Baptist dance? Then you'll know. Anyway, I don't know how I got off on that. That's not of the spirit. Let's move. Okay. Big idea is that they're putting all this pressure on themselves to be way down the road at like 27. They've got to be 30, one of the 30 under 30, like in Inc. magazine. It's never going to happen. And the same is true for us spiritually. Some of you are just so hard on yourselves. You're way harder than I would be on you. You're way harder than we would be on you. And you are reaching for things that are just so, so far in front of you spiritually. And some of that is kind of good. So you may even feel encouraged in that, but you have to see your reality. Like, I cannot be the father that I really want to be without another 20 years experience, right? It's just not going to happen. Like, I cannot be the pastor I want to be at age 34 that our old pastor, Pastor Yeomans, was in his 80s. I can't be like that at 34. I just need to realize this. Right, The purity, the piety, the discipline, the maturity that some of you are hoping for is going to take a lifetime to cultivate. You cannot reach 10 years right in front of you. But you can reach the things that are actually in front of you, like Paul says, like Paul does, the things that are in front of you. So what's in front of you? Well, as far as I know, it's still morning, so a new day. That's in front of us. We got a whole new day to fight sin and to worship God. When Paul says he reaches forth, he presses on, he means I'm going to work hard on whatever it is that's in front of me. For some of you, it is going to be hard work. You are going to have to embrace the fight and fight the good fight, but you can't fight for something 10 years from now, right now. You could fight for righteousness today, and that's what you're called to do. Leave it all on the field today for God. What else is right in front of you? Well, tomorrow's Monday. I know some of you just threw up a little bit in your mouth. Like, oh, don't remind me. I think I saw someone uh, take a Prozac right there. Tomorrow's Monday. Right? You have a new week, though, right in front of you. You have a whole new week. Focus on spiritual growth throughout this week. That's what's right in front of you. You're going to have to focus, right? It's going to take a lot of concentration, but, but you cannot focus on where you wish you were spiritually or quote-unquote where you should be spiritually or where your small group leader is spiritually. All you can really do is focus on spiritual growth, growth rather, that is possible for you this week. You get seven mornings to wake up and read the scripture. Hopefully a couple of them go to that. You get a handful of chances to encourage coworkers. You're going to get a couple of chances to come to church. You get 168 hours in the next seven days. Hopefully you use a few for prayer. The poor are with you always, even this week. So what's before you is a brand new week. And this is sanctification, embracing that mess, because that's all we can do right now. This is the idea that Paul is talking about. Forgetting what's behind, reaching on to what's in front of us, and whether or not what's in front of us is as amazing as we wish it was. I mean, this week may not be amazing, and that's okay. Because tomorrow, you get another new day, and next Monday, you get another new week. And so sometimes what we really need to do, what Paul's really talking about in this idea of sanctification, is that we really just need to embrace who we really are and where we're really at. I call it embrace the wobble. I know you don't know what that means, but let me try to explain. I got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I really remember what it was like to watch them learn to walk. It's quite a process, right? They start by, really, they start by rolling, and it's terrifying. Like, all of a sudden, they can roll off of stuff, and you just feel like the worst parent. Like, how did I not know that? Well, it's like out of nowhere. It's just one day they're on the couch, and they're totally safe, and the next day they're trying to roll off the couch, and you're like... Am I going to be all right? Are they going to be all right? Should we call somebody? I don't know. So they roll. Then they crawl with the hands, and they crawl with the hands and then the feet. Then they start to walk with their um, holding on to something, and then they can walk without holding on to something, and they get a few feet, and they wobble. 
and they fall down. But you know what they don't do is beat themselves up for not being able to run. They don't go and, you know, roll into the closet and hide from me because I'm so disappointed in the wobble. And if I'm just a human father, God says, how much greater is a heavenly father? The idea is that just like I get joy over watching them, I don't really get joy out of watching them wobble and fall, but um, I do get joy out of watching them grow. The falling, I feel bad for them, you know, but the idea is God is lovingly watching us too. We wobble, we fall. Even when we learn to run, we, my kids can run, they fall all the time. Some of you still fall all the time. We got some clumsy Griggs people. Right? That's why we upped our insurance last year at the deacons meeting. You know, we got some clumsy Griggs folks. Got to be careful with them. And, and you, know, you still fall. That's okay. Nationwide will cover it. And if they'll cover it, God's grace can surely cover it. This is part of walking. It's part of walking with Jesus. The wobble is where we're forgetting things that are behind. We're pressing on to things that are right in the head, right ahead. The sanctification problem is that sanctification is messy. And we assume that we're a mess. And the solution is to embrace this mess. This is, realize, this is normal. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it's the righteous man who falls seven times. You talk about wobbling. The righteous man that falls seven times. The one that's been justified. The one that's heading to be glorified. It's that guy in sanctification who falls seven times and then gets back up Again, embrace this mess that we're in. We also got to aim at the right end. Go back to verse 13. We'll read on to verse 14 this time. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Jesus Christ. So we talked about, hey, do whatever's right in front of you next week, right, today. So how do we know if we've done that? Like, how do we know if we have grown spiritually by this time next week? How do we know if we really did pursue holiness? Like, what's the goal, the end of sanctification? Well, right here in verse 14, Paul actually talks about a goal, a prize that he is striving for. And the wording is very interesting. It's very unique. It's, it's fascinating, really, because the call is the goal. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's like, I have a goal in mind. I have a prize, and that prize is this calling of mine. And what is that call of mine? It is an upward call in Christ Jesus, which literally means the goal is Jesus. In other words, Paul, his call is not to be just this great preacher, church planter, writer. His call is, in essence, at its core, his real call is to be like Jesus, and no one else. The end result that we're supposed to be aiming for, the end result the Holy Spirit is aiming for when it comes to our sanctification is for us to be like Jesus. Do we know this? That everything that Jesus did between his birth and his resurrection, ascension, everything he did in the meantime was in part empowered by God the Holy Spirit. So the truth-telling, the mercy, the, the, the working with the poor, the justice, the concern for fellow man, the feeding of the 5,000, the forgiving of the worst of sinners, the love that he poured forth during his ministry years, those three years walking around Galilee, all of that in part was empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Thus, what is the Holy Spirit doing in us? The same thing. He is making us like Jesus. That's the goal. Not to be a good guy, but to be like God. Not to be on time and punctual and friendly and everybody likes you. Sometimes Jesus wasn't liked by everybody. See also the crucifixion, okay? However, right, the goal is to be like Jesus. You have to keep this in mind or else sanctification will drive you wild, Right? You have to keep this in mind or else it's going to seem like even more of a mess. Right? Sanctification is not about you becoming a Bible reader. You read the Bible to become more like Jesus, who spit out the word in the Old Testament everywhere he walked. You don't, you're not sanctified so you can become a prayer warrior. You pray because you want to be like Jesus, who spent a lot of time as God the Son speaking with God the Father. You serve the church to be like 
Jesus. Sanctification doesn't put you in, you know, just so you can be in a Griggs group. You join a Griggs group to be like Jesus and to bear one another's burden. Sanctification doesn't make you into a, a, a giver. That's not the goal is to be a giver. We give because it's part of being like Jesus. The end result of sanctification is that you and I are more like Jesus. Now, here's a couple of questions. How big is the gap between what you live like and what Jesus lived like? Massive. Amen. Okay, I'm not trying to call you out, not trying to bum you out, but it's a big gap. How big is the gap between the godliest person you know in their life and Jesus' life? Massive. How big is the gap between the apostle Paul's life and Jesus' life? Massive. So is it really that shocking that sanctification is so messy? We're bridging a pretty big gap here, and it'll never really end because glorification will swallow us up before we actually make it to 100% sanctification according to the scriptures. So it's really not a shock that it's messy because the gap is big for all of us. Then here's the next question is then why do we feel such insecurity? Like that we have to hide or be fake when nobody can be like Jesus, not even the Apostle Paul. Why do we feel so insecure in our sanctification? And I would say it's because sometimes, according to this text, instead of aiming to be like Jesus, we get busy aiming to be like something or someone else. Let me look at verse 15. Philippians 3.15. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this in mind. The goal is to be like Jesus. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Right? So if any of you are true believers and you have this aim right now to be like someone other than Jesus, eventually God will reveal it to you that you're wrong and that really the aim is to be like Jesus. Here is perhaps, we don't know to a T what Paul is referring to, but I think it could have something to do with something we talked about the last couple of weeks, and that is the Judaizers. Dun, 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 right? The Judaizers, apparently, according to verse 2 of Philippians 3, had uh, come into the church of Philippi. They're preaching, believe in Jesus, that's all good, but really, you got to be like Moses, right? You got to do all the laws, A to Z, right? All the diets, all the holidays, all the days off, all the festivals, all of it. Okay, we're adding both, the Old and the New Testament together in a way that God actually had freed us from having to do for salvation. They're saying, this is what you got to be like. you got to be like Moses. In essence, they're saying, you got to be like us because we're keeping all these laws. Right, perhaps some of you have had a Christian leader like this in your life. I know I have. I have had leaders, Christian leaders in my life who are like so clean cut that in small group, like the biggest thing they'll confess to is like they could have witnessed more like, oh, I definitely witnessed, but I guess I could have witnessed more. I'm like, wow, uh, what a tough life. I mean, I'm, dude, you're crazy. Like, uh, you need to go see somebody. That's not easy. I mean, this is what they're talking about. Here's what I found out after a little while, and some of you have found this out. It doesn't take a lot of wisdom. I'm only 34, and I'll tell you what they're doing. Lying. Somebody say amen. They are not telling the truth. That is not the biggest thing they struggle with. And you can go find it out what it really was on the news, okay? That's true. That's experiences I have had. That's experiences we have had. And there's this idea that Paul's saying, some of you right now are getting kind of convinced about these, these Judaizers, right? Maybe the goal is to be like them, to be pious like them, and to be holy like them, and to do what they do and not do what they don't do. And, and he's saying, hey, if any of you are trapped into this way of thinking, then it's about being like somebody else other than Jesus, whoever the Judaizer might be. Eventually, God, who loves you and is guiding you, is going to remind you that, no, 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 you signed up to live with, live for, live like Jesus. Look at verse 16. He says, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let's walk by this rule, the same rule and the same mind. He says, for those of you who know what sanctification is about, right, he's speaking to the mature, you know it's about being like Jesus. To whatever degree you've made it, which is probably 
not a high degree for most of us, but to whatever degree you've made it, just keep walking by that same rule. Don't switch to the Judaizers' rules. Don't earn your salvation through Moses now, he says to the Galatians, dealing with these same people, but keep living out your salvation. Keep living out the original call to be like the Jesus who saved you. He says, let's walk by this rule. Let's be of the same mind. All of us here, let's agree. The goal is to be like Jesus and no one else. You see, when the goal is to be like Jesus, we're all the same, even Paul. We're a mess, but the Holy Spirit's cleaning it up so we can talk about it. When the goal is to be like someone else, the Judaizers, some of us are going to be ashamed because we don't match up, so we're going to have to hide, or we'll become hypocrites, and though we'll look strong, we'll get weaker and weaker until God reveals to us, no, 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 you were never meant to be like them, you're meant to be like Jesus. So here's a question. Who are we trying to be like? Who are you actively trying to be like what is the aim of your sanctification let me give you some common substitutes we fall into for christ instead of trying to be like christ a very common substitute is trying to be like other christians i'll pick on this though it's dangerous uh so buckle up getting a little controversial here love it you know where i see this a lot and it's okay right but i see this a lot when it comes to churches Just hear me out on this, okay? And women's groups. Okay, hold on. See if I can make it through this without getting fired. All right, here's the idea, okay? We love the church, all the churches that preach Jesus. I'm not the expert, trust me. Okay, but have you had this experience where you go to church, sign up for a women's group, and the only group is a good group, but it's about being a better mom and a better wife, probably taught by someone who is a good mom and wife. Maybe she's written a book or giving a lecture, and it's about being like her, in essence. Now, she doesn't say that. She doesn't mean that, but it can certainly feel that way to the people, the women sitting there. And that's not even really a problem. In fact, Timothy says that the older women should teach younger women some of these things. In fact, in this very text in Philippians 3, I believe it's verse like 17-ish, somewhere in there, Paul talks about following people who are good examples. That's not really the problem. The problem is, is that's the only group sometimes ever for women. Say, what other group do they need? Christian women need the group about being like Jesus. It's not, you say, it's a goal to be a good mom and a good wife and whatever God's called you to. The goal of Christian women is for these women to be like Jesus. That's the goal. And the other things may or may not apply, and then they do, that's great. But here's the idea with groups, right? I'll, I'll kind of veer off a little bit. Men's groups, being a man. Youth groups, being a good teenager, right? Leave it to Beaver, go back to that age. Right, whatever, singles groups, which is super weird. Like, hey, all of you are single, and maybe you should meet each other. It's like, this is so weird. Like, like we're just people, okay? You never, you know, it's, I don't know. Anyway, here's my point. That's weird, but, but the goal is not to be good at being single, okay? This, this is the goal for all Christians. The first and foremost goal, the big group we're all supposed to be joining and in all the time is be like... Jesus, right? When it's anything but that, then we're all conforming to one another. I have seen this. You have seen this. I remember when this one really cool church plant in town started. It is such a good church. They love Jesus and love the gospel. But I remember watching dozens of people I knew personally switch from like, I don't know, like some shorts from Belk to skinny jeans because the guy leading wore this certain kind of skinny jeans and they don't even realize they're all doing it. I'm like, all of a sudden, all of you look exactly like that guy who's a great guy preaching Jesus and loves Jesus. But I was like, I don't think that's the aim for sanctification. Though I'm sure, you know, someone's stock went up somewhere at some clothing company. I have literally, but I'm just telling you, I have seen people come out of church and they change the way they talk. They change their mannerisms to the leader's mannerisms and voice patterns because it's just natural for us to want to be like someone who knows what they're doing. But here's the thing. Nobody actually knows what they're doing. 
You're being like someone who's just as big of a mess as you are. This is going to cause more hiding, more hypocrisy. The goal is to get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and be like, that guy, he knows what he's doing. Amen? That's Jesus, by the way, is who's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just, just in case your Bible college was on a budget. That's why, that's, I mean, just to use this example, this dangerous example that I'm sure I'll regret, but like you want to be a good mom, let's just, because we hit that, yeah, Jesus is a great place to start. He's a, he, I mean, think, he's feeding the 5,000. Some of you probably feel like you've done that already this weekend, right? You're following Jesus. You're feeding people who cannot feed themselves. He is loving people in their craziest, wildest moments. And you're loving kids that are going off the chain. And he is, is tough on people who are know-it-alls. And you've got to be tough on your kids sometimes. And yet he's so gracious. Jesus is so kind to the brokenhearted. And you've got to show some sort of care and nurture sometimes that only could come from following Jesus. Whatever it is, whether it's being a mom or being a dad or being a young man or being a young woman or whatever it is, the goal is to be like Jesus. That's who we're aiming for. If it's anything else, we're actually might, we might look stronger, but we're going to get weaker. I'll give you one more before we close it up. Christian substitute that I've seen, or a substitute for Christ. Christians, Christian culture, right? So I won't hit this real long, but there's things we're going to talk about a lot and things we're never going to talk about just because when people get together, humanity gets together, culture happens, so we're not always necessarily going to talk in church about your exact need, your exact struggle, your exact temptation, your exact sin. And for some of you, that's going to make you want to hide or dive into hypocrisy because nobody else is talking about this. I'm dealing with it. And it's going to keep you from seeking help. Because what you're dealing with is not something that you assume we know anything about because we're not talking about it as a culture. That's not true. It's just a natural part of culture. We're not talking about everything under the sun. We're talking about a few big things, and it may not hit exactly what you need to know or do or deal with. I had a guy who I love this week, not at our church, so don't look around, asked me a question about psychedelics. I, don't get, I get a lot of questions. I haven't gotten this one. And it had to do with psychedelics and mental health, PTSD from Vietnam, or somebody in his family had it, and then it passed kind of on to him through some of the behaviors that he had to grow up with, whatever. Psychedelics can apparently cause, you know, disassociation, at least that's what I've heard, and, you know, you might be able to forget or might be able to reframe some of these dark memories that are causing you all this mental health trouble. And there's a doctor involved, and it's a prescription involved, but it's basically the same thing as doing psychedelics. Is Jesus cool with that? Now, I'm not going to get into that right now in this sermon, obviously, but here's the thing. Why is he asking me? It might be because for him at his church, he can't just raise his hands and be like, what about psychedelics? Without everybody being like, this dude's weird. Now, Griggs, he might fit in. I don't know, right? I was like, well, actually, we've had a lot of people deal with these types of questions and issues at, at Griggs, believe it or not. Right? This is an important question for him. It's something he's dealing with, but we're not talking about that every Sunday morning, are we? Like, I don't get up here and I'm like, you know, let's bust out a lecture on the ethics of big pharma. Like, I just don't hit that. It's not a big Sunday morning topic for us. But here's the truth, is that sometimes we're not hitting your topic, your sin, your question. That doesn't mean you're a mess. Sometimes there are things we talk about as a culture, and, then, and this is true for my life. Sometimes we need something like Christian counseling, where you can go one-on-one, -on -one, talk about your specific issue with the guarantee of confidentiality, and get help with something that the broader culture isn't really dealing with in the church. And that's totally a normal Christian experience. In fact, I go to counseling all the time for my OCD stuff. And my favorite counselor right now in Greenville is called Wellspring Counseling on Pelham Road. They are licensed professional counselors who can help you. And they're Christians who will help you sanctify and be more and more like Jesus in whatever specific arena you're struggling with. You're probably not struggling with OCD. You don't get weird when you can't see an exit like I do. I'm like... I'm pretty deep in this grocery store. I might die. Where's the exit, right? Say, so how do you explain that? I don't know. We don't talk about that a lot in church, do we? How to calm your OCD when you feel like you're too far from an exit. 
But I could go and I could tell them this and they could tell me that Jesus loves me and that Jesus cares for me and that I can trust him no matter what crazy little panic my mind wants to come up with and I could be sanctified to be more and more like Jesus. And so can you. And then you can come back to church and you can talk about it and it could become something that's more integrated into the culture. And then what will you see? A bunch of people calling you weak? No, you'll see the other people who have your exact problem come out of the woodwork and though they will look weak, they'll actually get stronger and stronger. And whereas if we never get it dealt with and we never get help and we never try to be like Jesus in our specific issue, specific temptation, as weird or as different as we think it might be, We'll look strong, but we'll be getting weaker and weaker. Here's the big idea. That sanctification is messy, but that doesn't mean you're just a mess. This is the normal Christian experience. Struggling, striving, pressing to be like Jesus. The sanctification problem is our comparison to others. The solution is to focus on the right aim and the right end result. So let's end up with some application as the musicians come up. If you're a non-Christian here today, it is time to be justified. Once and for all, this is how we typically talk about salvation, that you need to repent and believe and trust and walk with Jesus. You need to go from darkness to light and have your sins forgiven through faith in him. Join us on this journey Meet Jesus and join us as we walk with Jesus because one day we're going to go be with Jesus forever and ever and you are totally invited. You're going to be a mess either way, so you might as well be a mess for Jesus. Someone say amen. amen. That's true. <laughs> I can't stop you from being a mess, but I can help you be a redeemed mess. <laughs> Repent and believe in Jesus and justification is yours. Additionally, for those of you who are Christians, Here's my application for you. I just want for you today, really, to take heart. I want you to take heart. In fact, I want to hit this verse real quick. Like, real quick. We, we kind of skipped over it, but look back at verse 12. Philippians 3, 12. It's unbelievable. Here's the deal. No matter how this sanctification thing is going, okay, you are heading for glorification. No matter how messy it gets, no matter how insecure you might feel or how tempted you are to hide, right, because you feel like you have no grip on this holiness thing with some of the sins you're dealing with, I want you to understand his grip on you is tight and it's never relenting. Look at verse 12, unreal. I mean, this is such good news for us. Verse 12, not that I have already attained, Paul's not perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold on that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold on me. Your grip on holiness does not affect his grip of justification on you. Hallelujah. You are going to have a graph that goes up and down in your spiritual walk. His graph stays the same. 100% grace all the time. He will never let you go. When you're wanting to let go, he doesn't let go. When you do let go, he does not let go. He has laid hold on you. And now it's time for you day by day, week by week, to lay hold on being like him. You're saved no matter what. Eventually you will be glorified no matter what, and you will finally sin no more one day. So take heart, but until then, we press on. It's good news. We are being saved. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's sing to Jesus.